This is a project we were working on. We were fortunate enough to be selected as the consultant contractor to do initially data analytics. There's going to be a theme here. Everyone is going to hear the data analytics to determine the viability of the opportunity is what we call it in our business. And the viability of opportunity is really, is there an opportunity for us to be able to go in and analyze the water consumption? And is there going to be savings attributed to our investment? More than half of the leaks that are identified with the water compass and the water data analysis, uh, the leaks are underground. You don't see them. So then you got to do some exploratory analysis to try to find the leaks or just replace the piping network. This is Andy Humphrey. Welcome to episode 113 of the Sprinkler Nerd Show, where it is my job to speak with world-class water and landscape entrepreneurs from around the globe and to tease out the habits and their lessons learned so you can apply them to your own business. Today, I'm excited to share an exclusive webinar that I hosted with HydroPoint Data Systems, focused on leak detection and data analytics with my friends Paul Bassett, VP of Water Efficiency for Envacor, and Ben Slick, the Senior Vice President for HydroPoint Data Systems. I think before I start today's episode, I want to encourage you to visit hydropoint.com to learn more about the technology that we discuss in this episode, because I think if you understand what the technology is and a little bit about the company, you'll better understand what we're talking about. And if you don't visit Hydropoint before you listen, please visit Hydropoint after you listen. So grab some paper, get a pen. This episode is definitely going to be a writer downer. And after you listen to the episode, listen to it again. That is my advice. Listen to it once and then re-listen to it because there are so many good nuggets that can help your business unlock new market opportunities. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Welcome to today's webinar from HydroPoint, manufacturers of water compass, weather track and baseline control systems. Our topic for today is stop the leak, how to find bleeding pipes and reduce water waste. I am joined today by Ben Slick, Senior Vice President of Business Development for HydroPoint. And our guest today is Paul Bassett, Senior Vice President of Water Efficiency for Envocore. I thought before we got into the main content, we would do a little bit of a background on the three of us. I'll start and then Ben, you can introduce yourself and then we'll have Paul introduce himself. I have been working primarily with the baseline control products since about 2004, developing the, uh, the business channel distribution specification and now uh, work with the sales uh, and marketing team as a technology consultant, uh, both on product positioning and working with engineers and designers on implementing the technology. Ben? I've been with HydroPoint for 18 years and my role has evolved over time, but today I lead our efforts with partners, finding customers as a tip of the spear for Water Compass to help them push into their infrastructure to get a better handle on water being used and where leaks or anomalous use might be. 
Um, my background is Silicon Valley Tech. I came to HydroPoint 18 years ago with the idea of building a business here with the founding team, and have um, been, you know, very happy with the results to this point. And I got to meet people like Paul. Excellent. Paul, tell us about yourself. Well, I've been in the irrigation business since 1988, a little bit longer than Ben. Um, I think it's 34 years doing the math today. <laughs> Seems like yesterday we were playing with water and now we're still doing it, just a little better technology. Um, today, I lead the water efficiency team at Envocor, which we do a lot of water conservation projects from replacing toilets, putting in water meters, retrofitting irrigation systems, and any of those devices that use water, we try to save it at the end of the pipe. Excellent. And I'll add on a piece, what I find really interesting about Paul's background is really starting from irrigation and outdoor water use and moving and also working on interior water use. And then now finding a lot of opportunities for leak detection, which is the main reason we wanted to bring Paul on today, because Ben and I could talk about the tech and how it works and where to put it and what you're looking at. But we really wanted to bring on a guest that has real world hands-on experience that does this every day for a living so that he could share what he sees uh, with all of us and all of you so that you could get a little bit better of an idea on the types of leaks that are out there and opportunities that are out there either for your business or for your site if you are an end user client. Ben, if you wouldn't <laughs> mind, let's have you just give a little bit of a background on you know, the offerings that HydroPoint brings to market. So HydroPoint Data Systems offers three different solutions in the market, two of which are on the irrigation control side. We have a brand called WeatherTrack, which uses weather data and scheduling software to combine a way to reduce over-irrigation by using science as opposed to guesswork or scheduling. We have a relationship we acquired Baseline six years ago. Baseline is an engineered irrigation solution that can manage complex sites using soil moisture sensors, pressure sensors, temperature sensors, a wide variety of inputs to better manage a complex site. And then about six years ago, we released <clears throat> a service offering called Water Compass, which is a flow monitoring, leak detection, and water data analytics service. And Water Compass is delivered as a solution with a cloud-based component, a piece of hardware that introduces a monitoring point to an infrastructure, either by attaching to a water meter or clamping onto a pipe and using ultrasound. And then there's a customer success person who dedicates themselves to the account, who then will look at alerts, <coughs> alarms, and help bring forward anomalous use cases, leak events, et cetera, and help the customers prosecute those leaks. Thank you so much. The three types of kind of use cases that Paul has brought to us for discussion, you know, really evolve around these three content buckets. Primarily what we're looking at today is some outdoor leaks. So number one, fountains of all shapes and sizes. You can see one right here that Paul's worked on down at our nation's capital. Cooling towers, and Paul's got a lot of experience with cooling towers, and this might be a new use case for some of you guys. And then main water supplies and irrigation leaks. So we're going to go through five use cases that all revolve around these sort of three main focus areas. 
we wanted to put a couple facts out here for you so that you knew the importance and the relevance of finding leaks. And I think rather than read them all, the one that stands out to me that I think you may want to think about is the fact that the water utility bill cycles are 30 to 90 days. And that is too slow oftentimes in order to find a leak. And so what we're what we're going to be talking about today sort of focuses in on this because we need to see, watch, record, and analyze the water data in real time in order to help find the leaks because 30 to 90 days later, that's too long, which is part of the reason that these leaks occur. That's exactly okay, right, so Andy. You know, to go one step further, there's a hard cost in utility expense with water being mismanaged, but water, unlike electricity, goes places it's not supposed to go when it gets out of its pipes. And it does secondary and tertiary damages to building infrastructure. It causes actuarial risk from an insurance standpoint, builder's risk if you're constructing new sites. So mismanaged water can complicate people's lives well beyond the utility bill. Okay, very good. So let's, um, Ben, do a, just a 10,000-foot overview of Water Compass to kind of set the scene for these projects. So a Water Compass service is constructed of three parts. There's a piece of hardware that attaches to the infrastructure of the customer's building. We have a device that can read a dumb water meter and turn it into a smart meter by listening to it, recording what it says, transmitting the data to the cloud, and giving a customer then in a dashboard the ability to see the day's water use. And if they click on the day, they can see use by hour of day. And what this gives the customer the ability to do is identify exactly when a leak might begin or get flagged when continuous use suddenly shows up when none had been present before. And this level of granularity, you know, what goes well past getting a utility bill every six to eight weeks where a leak may have gone on for a long enough time to compromise a building infrastructure before it got detected. And then the customer success manager dedicated to the account reviews all the alerts and alarms on our system in case the customer doesn't have time to look at them, we'll escalate things to them. So there's a device that can attach to any existing water meter. We sell a water meter that could cut into a pipe if you want to turn water service off and monitor it, but most customers don't want to interrupt water service. So we've developed ultrasonic solutions that clamp onto pipes and use ultrasound to introduce sub-metering points to a building infrastructure to track use cases beyond the domestic meter, say a fountain, a pool, a laundry, a kitchen, you know, a, a cooling tower makeup line, et cetera, et cetera. Excellent. So we have hardware, software, and service. And what I like about that is all three of those things go together because the hardware all by itself isn't a, a magic, isn't magic. <laughs> there has to be some software analytics and then some service incorporated with that. Very good. So we're going to move on to how to find leaks using these real world use cases that Paul has brought to us that is going to be hopefully a bit like storytelling. So Paul, let's talk about your first use case that you and Ben worked on at, at the zoo, which I don't believe we can name by actual names. We're just calling this a zoo. So tell us what the project was and how you resolved it. Well, fortunate enough, I get to work at several zoos across the country, and this is just one of them that we were able to get involved with. And one of the things that we did initially in order to sort of understand the water profile is we looked at their utility bills. 
I mean, that's really the first thing that we try to analyze when we get involved with a client. We look at their utility bills and we try to put a profile together on how much water that particular facility is using and determine how much they should be using. And in this case, you know, we looked at the site, we looked at the facilities and we determined that they were using more than their benchmark profile established. So, um, as you mentioned prior, the utility bills we get from the water authority um, were monthly bills and monthly bills don't really give us the profile of water consumption throughout the day. So we really needed to get some more granularity on the water usage. So we were able to find their main water supply. And as you can see here, we were able to um, install the water compass devices on this particular meter. It had a high flow meter and a low flow meter. And the water compass devices have both um, the ability to connect up to both the meters and bring the data right into the platform. And then as we started analyzing the data as it was coming in, um, we could see there was about a 20 or 30 gallon per minute leak constantly going through this network. Um, so we were able to show the client how much water they were bleeding in their pipe network and how much it was costing them almost daily um, to be able to you know, know, in fact, how much water they were spending and losing to this particular leak. And you mentioned sort of, I can't remember the word that you used, a, bench, a benchmark water usage to, you know, to find that they were using 30 gallons per minute more than they should have been, or was this just 30 gallons straight up as a... Well, what we did zero. is a lot of times you can, you, we can profile projects based on their facility types. So if you have an office building and the square footage of the office is this much and there's so many people in the office, you know, we can establish sort of like a gallons per square foot for the building. Andy, just similar to what we do in irrigation. So, you know, there's a lot of building profile types that we establish per building types to determine what their gallons per square foot uh, is within that building. And this one, it was exceeding the normal profile of the benchmarks. So that's when we determined it was probably viable for an investment in our time to deploy these devices. And after we started getting the data back, it was correct. We did see that they were, they were exceeding their normal consumption profile by having these underground leaks in their system. That was my next question. What, were this leaks or was this um, fixture, inaccurate fixtures? I mean, we haven't determined all of the leaks yet, but it's their infrastructure is leaking and it's leaking and it's going underground so they're not visible to the human eye. And that's a lot of times what we do find in these situations is more than half of the leaks that are identified with the water compass and the water data analysis, uh, the leaks are underground. You don't see them. So then you got to do some exploratory analysis to try to find the leaks or just replace the piping network. Very good. We won't have time on this webinar to cover how to go find the leaks, but if you are interested, Paul's contact uh, info will be at the end of this webinar, and you can contact Paul if you want to learn how to go find that leak you've identified. Very good. Let's move on to the next project. If I recall, this was a similar situation, but it occurred at a city park. Why don't you start us off with this one, Paul? Yeah, and this is this is a project we were working on. Um, we were fortunate enough to be selected as the consultant contractor to do initially data analytics. Um, you know, there's going to be a theme here. Everyone is going to hear the data analytics. 
to determine the viability of the opportunity is, is what we call it in our business. And the viability of opportunity is really, you know, is there, is there an opportunity for us to be able to go in and analyze the water consumption? And is there going to be savings attributed to our investment? So on this particular site um, or this project, what we did is we got all the utility bills from all of the parks for the last several years. And then we put it in a matrix and then we looked at the parks that had the highest consumption and spend to the lowest consumption and spend. And then this particular park was the highest spend in the whole portfolio annually. Um, and I think the at the time we looked at this, the data, this park was spending $400,000, $450,000 a year um, in water. And we deemed that this park should only be spending fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year in water in our benchmarking, which was very, very high. So then we we wanted to find out what the heck is going on here at the site. Why is the site using so much water? So this graph here shows everyone how much water was being used back in the first or second, third month compared to in the 43rd month, um, how much water and spend that they had. So you can see graphically how much wa more water has been being consumed through that meter over the past three or four years. It's like the leak was getting worse and worse over time is what that looks like to me. It has progressed. And one of the analogies that I that I make that, that might hit home with everyone is, it's like when you're gonna go to the doctor and you need to get your blood pressure tested. Well, we don't know what our blood pressure is. You know, when we're just sitting here, we need to have some device that tests our blood pressure that allows us to see the clarity of what's going on with our our blood moving through our system. Um, it's the same thing with putting these meters and these devices on the network. It allows us to see clarity and visibility on what's happening in the pipe network um, that you don't get to see every day. So this device is, is basically our blood pressure cuff to be able to and go in there and analyze it. And building off what Paul said, you know, taking a single blood pressure reading in a day you know, might not give you the true picture of what blood pressure is for that person's time, right? It could be after coffee and they're anxious about being at the doctor's office or after a meal or whatever. So you take a series of readings over time and now you've got a more accurate profile of that particular use case, but then now you need a body of data to compare it to and say, all right, my, my reading was 120 over 72. How does that compare with a national average or what should that be for a person of my age and my height? And, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, similarly in parks, if you've got 50 parks that you're analyzing, you know, comparing the amount of irrigated area in terms of number of acres or irrigated square feet, and then looking at the water used per that metric can tell you outliers jump forward right away and say, you know, the average use is X amount per acre. This is like 72 times the amount per acre. That's something we got to go stick our nose in to figure out. Absolutely. And can you tell us, Paul, how you came about, you know, with this one? You know, so you told us that you looked at all the data, you found this park. Then if I remember correctly, you went to the park to try to see what could be going on. And to me, that's a really interesting part of this story. Yeah. The first thing I try to tell everyone to do is, you know, you got to go find where the water meter is, open the water meter vault and then inspect and look at the water meter. And the water meter is going to tell you really what's going on. And in this particular park, when we pulled the lid to the water meters, there was no one at the park. I think it was seven o'clock in the morning. 
the bathrooms weren't being used, the irrigation wasn't running, and the water meter was spinning at 125 to 130 gallons a minute, just flowing water. And if you do the math, I mean, it was at the time we looked at it, it, it was getting close to half a million dollars a year in water flowing. So where's the water going? In this particular site, they had very porous volcanic rock soil. So the surf, the leak was not surfacing. It was going straight down into the aquifer or into the groundwater and dissipating. So unless you had data and are doing data analytics, no one found this leak until we discovered it. And again, you can see by the data, it's been happening and going on for more than four years. Mm -hmm. um, and it still has been going on. And we are just now implementing the project here very shortly to go ahead and replace all the underground piping at this particular park to reduce or eliminate the leak altogether. Yeah, wow. You think about the cost of that, you know, on an annualized basis, so just pure waste and dollars wasted as well, because they're paying a utility bill to their local water agency. How many more trucks could that buy? How many more people could they employ in the park system to do a better job for patrons? I mean, there's a whole host of secondary benefits that come from not just stopping the leak, finding it, but also re-employing those lost dollars into more productive uses of time and energy. Well, good work, Paul. It's like uh, you're, you're the doctor found this bleeder and now you're going to, you know. Fix it, right. Good analogy. Very good. Let's move on to our next leak use case, which is talking about uh, fountains, how fountains um, leak or misuse water. Well, the, these are the hidden gems that, that we tend to find um, in our business. And the reason why they're, they're hidden gems, because all the piping network is underground or it's in sort of some mechanical vault and it's around equipment and you, you can't see it visibly, the leak. Um, and you have valves and sensors that open and close um, these systems. And, and the, the only way to really find them is to put some sort of digital device on the incoming water supply and then track and trend, you know, that consumption. And, and in this particular one, they even had a meter. You can see there in a picture there that I'm pointing to a meter, that that meter is the fill valve to the fountain. And that fountain fill valve was steady running when we were there. You can actually see the, the, the valve to it is cracked partially so they can just regulate the water flow going into that fountain. Um, and this, I think, I recall, Andy, maybe five to seven gallon a minute leak on that particular fountain and it was just going straight to drain and it wasn't until we got in the mechanical room and we found the meter and we saw the water flow and the client had no idea that this was going on in their in their equipment and this happens all the time in this equipment it's not maintained very well there's a lot of turnover folks don't aren't aware how the system operates so when we can go in and put these devices in and digitize the water we can really show them how much water they're wasting yeah, and I think that if I remember, Paul, the one with you down under it was sort of like an infinity pool. So it spilled over the edge. And then I think, if I'm not mistaken, their refill was out of commission, if you will. So it would spill over the edge and they were just plumbing in new fresh water up to the top, right. creating that waterfall effect with with without recirculating it. They were filling it instead of recirculating it. And it would run like that until somebody decides to fix it. And a lot of times they don't. They they want to just maintain the level of water in the pool, not knowing that it's really all going down the drain. 
and and you can see here the picture to the right is the the reflecting pool we were fortunate enough to be able to get a project with the national park service as well and, and we deployed digital flow sensors on every fill valve to all the fountains and water features in in the washington dc metro area and we're tracking and trending all of the consumption so we can see when the fill valve opens when it closes and then we have established what the baseline usage is for each fountain and if it exceeds that amount then we deploy someone out to see what's going on with the devices in the field would it be safe to say that just thinking about how water is lost in a fountain it would be really only evaporation or somebody drains it other than That's actually correct. a crack and a leak in the uh, waterproofing well and sometimes too you know there, there's filtration systems that that you know once they build up certain sediments in them they back flush is the term so then that's right, as you mentioned, they do go to drain, but they back flush. So sometimes that back flush equipment could malfunction and it could be stuck open and it's constantly draining there. But yes, Andy, your point uh, is, is well taken that yes, there can be some cracks in the basins. Um, I don't know if, if all of you guys remember back in 2013, there was a little uh, earthquake in the DC metro area. And that, that earthquake did affect some of the water features and fountains in in the DC metro where we might have had some separation of some coping stones or you know some of the sealants in the pools. Very good. Anything else we want to mention on this one or should I move to the next? In commercial applications, okay. pools are just the same as these fountains, right? So you've got a True. swimming pool at a multifamily community, it's got a fill valve, fill valve gets stuck, the water keeps flowing into the sides of the drains and no one's there to see it. Unless you've got something continuously monitoring flow from the meter that feeds the pool, you'd never know. Yeah, yeah, good good point, Ben. Yes, fountains are you know, virtually similar to pools and how they're maintained and managed. So I would agree with you, Ben. That's a good point. Yep, and I think, Paul, you've mentioned to me you've found fountains that are not like the reflecting pool, not like this other one, but are, are much smaller, but can still be using a lot of extra water if it's just overflowing to a drain. And the, the challenge, too, is unless you have a meter on the supply, most folks won't even know that the water's flowing and going to the drain. Exactly. You gotta have some insight. You gotta have the blood pressure cuff, you know, or the meter on the supply line, or you will not have any insight on what's going in on with that system. Very good. Let's go to the next one, cooling towers. So I'm certainly no cooling tower expert. I, most of what I know is learning through you, Paul. So tell us what you know about cooling towers and how they leak. Well, we really don't need to be a cooling tower expert to understand these systems, honestly. And, and I've evolved over my years from you know being an irrigation person to being able to understand all of water and how it moves through a network and a system. But it, it's virtually this device, this machine um, brings water in and it has evaporative cooling. So you have some evaporation. And then once the water in the tower reaches a certain point of particulate matter or parts per million, there's a little device in there that says, okay, we have too much minerals in the water that we're recirculating now. We need to blow out or blow down or drain the basin with that high mineral content water um, and bring in fresh water. And it's similar to an irrigation system. It has a solenoid valve or this simple ball cock valve um, to be able to bring in water. And these devices, like any solenoid valve or a float cock, they fail. I mean, has anyone ever replaced a solenoid valve or a diaphragm in a valve? It happens all the time. Or, or a leaking it, toilet, which is probably very similar to this device. 
Yeah, so this is the more rudimentary. If you see in the photo here is a rudimentary ball cock. Um, and, you know, these arms get bent or they fail and they, they fail. They're failing open and they're inside or below grade or they're in um, in a vault where you can't see. And you, again, it's similar to a pool um, or a fountain where if and when it leaks, it's not it's not going to be visible. The leak, it goes straight to drain. And without meters and, and devices that will convert the data to digitally, this can go on for months and months and months until, again, you get the utility bill and then you're like, oh my, what happened? Why is my bill $30,000 more this past quarter than the prior quarter? And it was because the ball valve got stuck or the fill valve was stuck open. And yeah. without the insight, you're, you're not going to see it until you get the utility bill. And I love this. this oh, go ahead, Ben. I was just going to say the cooling towers are huge pieces of equipment that usually live either on the roof of an urban building, uh, you know, high rise or in the back of a campus, you know, where not a lot of people are there to hear water draining, you know, uh, if there's a continuous fill. So if you're not monitoring those input lines to the tower, you know, and the tower's job, let's all remember, it's mixing with chemicals to then purify the air that gets passed through the ducts of the office workers or the factory so that people can breathe clean air without Legionella or other you know, airborne pathogens. And then when it blows down into that drain pan, you know, there's consumptive sewer charges, right, that are usually applied. And if there's no separate meter on the blowdown line, the customer is maybe paying 100% of water being used in makeup to blowdown. And we know that in cooling tower applications, anywhere from 30 to 70% of the water is evaporating because of the way the tower operates. So again, if you're not monitoring the water inflow, it's not just about catching the, the leaks and the stuck valves, but it's also how does this tower's operation compare with other towers in my network? I and mean, what are we, how are we best using chemicals? Um, they have a survey, they have a, an analysis term called cycles of concentration, which measures the amount of water in the makeup process versus blowdown. And then you can track essentially if a tower is operating efficiently by the number of times it's reusing the chemicals in the water before it's calling for new water in the system. So having data as an analytics tool puts more data in the hands of the tower operator than maybe the chemical provider or some other person who's not paying as much attention to the total operation of the system. Yeah. And Very good point. These numbers right here, if if it was a inch and a half pipe coming in at 40 gallons a minute that was running for 30 days, that'd be 1.7 million gallons of water. And at $15 per thousand, it could be you know as much as $25,000 in a month for a stuck float on an intake to a cooling tower that just is overflowing to drain 24 seven. Or the first year's tuition for somebody's kid in college. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I think this is our, our last one. And, you know, this is about a main water supply, but also, you know, irrigation pipe and leaks. And uh, so tell us about this one, Paul. This is another one of those strange um, projects that we got involved with when we started looking at the utility bills and we started seeing some extremely high consumption. And it was, again, way over what typically should be consuming in this particular facility. And so what we had to do is go in and look at the water meter. And this is, I think, a 24 inch. I know it looks kind of small in the picture, but this is a 24 inch water main um, in a vault. 
and then that red tool is the, uh, the water meter transmitter and then the endpoints somewhere up and under the pit. Um, what we did is we were able to then replace that device with our own device to be able to track and trend the water meter data because we were only getting um, monthly reads from the customer. I mean, I'm sorry, monthly meets from the customer and the utility. And, and as Ben mentioned before, a monthly read is not going to give us the granularity that we need to be able to determine if there's a leak or not. Ideally, we would like to see the data come in, in at least in 15-minute increments. One-hour reads are okay, but it doesn't give us the granularity we want. So in this particular one, we were able to convert the reads over to get them within 15 minutes. And then when we tracked and trended the data, we saw that this pipe never stopped flowing water at 500 gallons a minute. It never went below 500 gallons a minute. It's sickening that this particular leak that we found. Now, again, when we say we found the leak, we only found it in the data. We haven't officially found where the water's going yet. Um, that's in the next phase of the, the analysis. The client then determined at that point, okay, there's a significant investment that, that we can make into this because we're spending, I don't know, a million dollars a year in water loss. Yeah, a million dollars, I said. <laughs> so now they know we have a million dollars we can invest into finding the leak. So the next step in this process is to go ahead and take that million dollars or whatever it is that they're spending in the leak to put it out in the field and go find where the the leaks are and then hopefully we can mitigate them and reduce that excessive expense. So it sounds like there's a million dollar potential budget, if you will, for an ROI to right. go find the cause of the leak. In lieu of that, do you have any hypothesis or theories about where that much water could be going? Yeah, I mean, again, luckily for for you know the folks on, on the call here, we've been doing this long enough so you sort of see patterns of of water and water losses. Now again, this is another one. It's it's not the leak's not coming up to the surface and we're seeing it flowing. So these these are the, the challenges. But on this particular one, this system is tied to another water's utility system as a backup supply. My initial hypothesis after looking at the data and talking to all the folks that manage it is there some interconnects valves between the networks and this system pressure is 95 pounds and the other system's pressure is at 75 pounds. So if there's an interconnect open between the two networks, the higher pressure side is going to win. And that's what's happening. At least I believe, it's my hypothesis, that water from this network is going through an interconnect valve going into the other networks and that's where the and again again that's where I believe the water losses are occurring is that they're transferring the water from one network into the other network, but the one network is paying for it and the other one is not. To give the audience some context, you know, at 500 gallons a minute times 60 minutes in an hour times 24 hours in a day, that's 720,000 gallons of water a day, which is equivalent to flooding two football fields a foot deep every day of wasted water. So if that were surfacing, you would see it. And then where else could it be going? It's enough water that it you, makes you question where it's going. And then you come up with that theory, Paul, and it, that's very likely because it could be feeding lots of other systems that are not leaking. It's just misappropriated billing and utility usage. It just gets to be challenging sometimes to try to really figure out where these are going. and, and 
Um, fortunately for us, we just gained tremendous amount of insight and experience in these types of use case scenarios. So we're able to sort of hone in on what we feel where the water is going. And, you know, hopefully we've identified that. And now we just got to work with the utility to try to find these interconnects and get them shut off is our next step. Now, the you know, hopefully the cost of this isn't going to be extraordinary to go ahead and find this and mitigate the, this this loss of water and ideally revenue that that's happening. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing those examples. We'd mm-hmm. like to offer the audience an opportunity to ask questions, you know, ask Paul anything. Uh, we do have a couple that came in, you know, sort of while we were talking. And so I think we'll just, I'll just start with one of these, Paul. So one of the questions that came in is, if there's only one meter on a building, how do you know where the water's going? You know, what's using the water and where to start? Well, I mean, you you really don't know uh, what's using the water. What you need to do, if you want to know where the water's going, you, you have to do a, a water audit or what we call a water balance in, in our trade, where you have to really go in and audit all the devices and figure out where what is consuming the water and then balancing it out on all the devices. And hopefully the water balance turns out to be the same as what the water bill is is consuming right ben yep 100 percent. and you know there's sub metering technologies that allow paul to push himself further into the infrastructure so if you're monitoring the main domestic revenue meter from the agency but you want to track building use by floor or building use by wing or by type you can clamp on ultrasonic sensors and push into that infrastructure to give you readings about water consumed in certain discrete use cases that helps you more accurately narrow in where that leak may be going. Very good. And then we have another question. They want to know where you see most of the leaks occurring. The most of the leaks that I've found in, in my experience are in older iron pipes or bad fittings in the ground, aging infrastructure. Again, I, I've now been doing this, like I told everyone, 34 years. And you know, pipes made 40, 50 years ago aren't made the same way they were made today. And they corrode, uh, they're more made of old iron pipes and they're starting to fail. And I'm seeing fittings failing, pressures increasing because of poor infrastructure and those leaks aren't surfacing and they're going down into the ground. So you really need to have some tool to provide the, the digital insight into the water network. And that's what we're talking about today, really the digital tools that give us the insight to be able to see the analytics and then hopefully create some action on those analytics. Excellent, yeah, I think that, like you said, you gotta have the data in order to, to go find the leak. Um, data is critical for sure. Yes. For a pipe uh, that is, you know, out in the landscape that's leaking, what's the best way to get started finding the leak? Well, there's there's a lot of tools out there that you can use to try to find the leak. There's first you got to find the pipe, and a lot of times they don't have the ability. The pipe itself could be plastic, but there's some new tools that are out there that our team is using to be able to push some frequency onto the pipe. Um, and then use the sound waves that we push through the pipe to find that particular leak. So there's different tools that folks can use in the irrigation systems or plumbers and pools and fountains to be able to push this, these frequencies through the pipe 
um, and have a receiver on the other end to be able to identify that frequency. And then you can excavate, hopefully at that point, to find the leak and dig it up and excavate it out. Very good. We have uh, a question that has to do what it looks like to be a, a hotel of sorts. Uh, the question is 20 to 30 gallon leak or gallon per hour or gallon per minute. And then the example is if I have a 269 room hotel with multiple restaurants, how do they determine what their benchmark should be? Well, ideally what, what we look at when we look at hotels, and Andy, you've heard this term before, it's how many bodies to potties? How many folks are in the restaurant or how many folks are in the hotel? And then you can benchmark you know, how many gallons per day per person that should be using. If it's beyond the benchmark, then you know there's an issue. And again, Andy, you we've been on resorts and hotels. Um, what I've seen the bigger issue with older resorts are multitude of things, but primarily the older toilets are an issue because you have these older flapper valves in there and they're silent leaks. You can't really see them. They're just going down the drain as one. But if, if I were to use a restaurant case scenario, I probably would put a submeter on the water supply, serving the restaurant, and then benchmarking it and seeing really what is going on day to day in that restaurant. And then hopefully you can find an issue. Or a lot of times it's mainly just training the staff to shut the water off to a sink or a drain or to the kitchen or the, um, the dish machine. So there's a lot of different machines that are going on in, in a kitchen that these tools will give you more insight to be able to see how much water they're using. Excellent. Seems like occupancy, right? It, it's like if if we, the people, are the ones using the water, occupancy is something that you would use to benchmark bodies to bodies. I think the owner operator of a hotel chain, if they started doing their own comparative analytics across a portfolio of property and deriving water used by building square foot or building envelope or by an irrigated acre, or by number of rooms and occupancy factors, you know, and then stand back and look at those outliers. The ones that need further investigation are going to step up because you're going to see, I've got three 200 room hotels in the same metropolitan Southwest US, and one is using three X the amount of water as the other two. What would make it special? Does it have a pool? Is there a fountain? You know, is it, a bigger irrigated area than the other guys, you know, what, what, there, there's going to be, the data is going to lead you down the path of finding the problem. They love to wash off their concrete out front every day. <laughs> See it all the time. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So we've got a question here about cooling towers. And the question is, should I see continuous flow? No, cooling towers should not have continuous flow. It should be a cycle. When it blow downs, you know, it's going to drain the basin and then the makeup is going to fill the basin. So once the basin's full, the cooling tower should consume or use that amount of water for a period of time. And then once the mineral levels build back up in that particular basin, then the controller, just like an irrigation system, is going to tell that valve open up and drain the basin. So if you have a, a device, a meter on that, you should see it fill and shut off and then blow down and then fill again. So it should never have a continuous flow into a cooling tower. Yeah, and if you're looking good. at cycles of concentration, if you're seeing like a one-to-one -one ratio of water being used and made up and then blown down, 
that's an indication of either a tower malfunctioning or maybe you've got excessively dirty water and you need to use that much chemical to keep it clean. And therefore, maybe that brings Paul to an analysis to say maybe there's a water polishing system that needs to be introduced here to help lower the overall cost of tower operation. Because in a one-to-one -one ratio, you've got a water cost and you've got a chemical cost and the chemicals are not cheap, right? So if you're not getting good reuse of the chemicals in, you know, maybe the tower's rated for an eight to one makeup to blowdown and you're getting one to one. If you're not measuring it and you don't know that, you know, you're just wasting resources. Yeah, good. And a follow on question is, is there any reason that a cooling tower would be operating in cooler temperatures? Sure. I mean, it's really all about the temperature of the building inside. What are you trying to maintain the temperature in the building? So even if it's 50 degrees outside, it could be still 75 degrees inside the building, depending on ventilation. So cooling towers are used in, in some climates year round. And there are some free cooling systems in there where they they don't have the actual cooling tower operate meaning they're not using the water and they're just using outside air to cool but they're still using the cooling system to be able to to use the heat exchanger inside the chiller yeah and there's okay. a growing body of evidence on corporate office campuses where towers are used to cool the air that also the quality of the air in the building can improve employee productivity right so that use of chemicals to reduce airborne pathogens, you know, uh, is an effect for quality of health inside the building for the for the workers. Good. Moving on to the next question for a city park, Paul, how long does it usually take to determine, you know, what the baseline benchmark water use should be? Well, again, we've been able to doing this for so many years. You you need to analyze the weather number one and find out what your evapotranspiration rates are in that particular climate and what your rainfall rates are what your plant type is that you're watering and then we you come up with your gallons per square foot for that application of that landscape and then you look at your utility bill and you say well the irrigation system consumed x amount of gallons this year we determined that it only requires 20 gallons per square foot, but we're applying 40 gallons a square foot, then you're doubling the amount of water required on that landscape. So then there's a problem, then you need to be able to try to analyze what the problem is and, and mitigate that excess of water consumption. And the, the, the root cause of that excess might be either in the timing where water is being over applied on purpose because humans are guessing how many minutes the timer should run and not using a science to use watering. Or it could be leaks in the irrigation infrastructure where a cracked pipe or a missing head or a leaking valve or something is contributing to water loss independent of the timing. Yeah, good. Okay, well, we're going to try to wrap up in the next three minutes. We have two more questions. <laughs> First question is, can you read the utility meter in real time? I thought then if the follow-up is I thought you needed an ultrasonic to get that kind of data. So can you read a meter? Well, I, I mean, necessarily in real time because most of the devices that, that are out today provide us 15-minute incremental data, and then that data gets transmitted to an application that then we extract it from. I think the only way you can look at it real time is if you're on site or if you have a device because I think even the water compass transmits every 15 minutes, Ben. Is right. that right? Takes a lot of power. 
Yeah, Water Compass is essentially recording in real time everything the meter is 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 recording. But it to say battery life transmits once a night, you know, but it gives you the ability to get more granular. With an ultrasonic sensor, we actually can give you a per minute resolution what's flowing through the pipe, and that's queryable. But again, you know, the need to do this in real time against the meter has not really been the driver for most people. They really want to stand back and look at the aggregate of the data and the trend in the data to figure out what's going on. Yep. Beyond is there water flowing right now? Because if you look at a meter, it will spin. That tells you right. something. So that's right. real time, but it's not enough yep. data to analyze something. Very good. And our last question is, does this technology have applications in commercial agriculture? Great question. I, I know primarily I've been focused in the landscape sector, but anywhere you use water, absolutely these tools can be used um, in agriculture. Um, they're, they're sized to be able to fit big pipes as well. And I know Ben said there's ultrasonic devices out there. There's insertion meters. There's lots of ways that you can um, actually that email address is not correct. It's pbassett at EnvoCore, by the way, Andy. Yeah. Um, so yes, to answer the question, there are tools that you can deploy to be able to monitor and manage the agriculture irrigation water as well. There's a growing desire in California to better understand groundwater resource drain. And so every straw in the ground needs to be metered. And so if someone if you're a vineyard operator or a grow house or you know you're doing you know roses and uh, greenhouses you know they want to know where that water is coming from and so if people are tapping wells for golf courses or what have you if you're not measuring the water that you're pulling out of the ground you run afoul of state regulation so the, just knowing what the draw is helps people understand how to better plan aquifer management and you know water resources in general good point very good. Well, Paul, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing all of your stories, being an open book, giving away some of your secret sauce, if you will. And thank you for sharing what HydroPoint and Water Compass has to offer. And if anybody watching would like to contact uh, HydroPoint or Paul, the contact information is on the screen. And we appreciate you joining us today. Yes. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, thanks Andy. Thanks. Good seeing you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Andy. Likewise. See you on the next webinar. Bye. Nice one.